welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Haight. This week we're talking about Season 3, Episode 15, Pretense. That's what I told you we were doing anyway. (laughs) I don't care, because as you can tell, we brought someone else along for the ride as well. Welcome back, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me back. Well, you know, we've had you on for an episode in the first two seasons, so it only made sense to bring you on again when we do the third season. Yeah, and I hate to say this, but I have not actually gone through and watched all of the Stargate yet, so it's really fun to see where the characters are and where some of them are not in season three. Because <laughs> some of them have not changed. Indeed. Which cracks me up. Yep. No, uh, honestly, most of them don't. No. And I, like, once again, Teal'c is still my favorite character. He's just, like, the only competent human being. Is he a human? I guess he's not a human, but, he like, Teal'c just gets done. He's- like, human adjacent. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, if you want something done, you gotta go to Teal'c. Pretty much. Yeah, no, I'd say the characters are... Pr- the the way the characters are is pretty much solidified by the end of the first season and doesn't change much for a long time. Yeah, yep, that's totally fair. I think it's really fascinating because McNeil is, is such an ass. That's how I read it, anyway. He's like a playful asshole. Also, it's O'Neill. O'Neill. Did I, what did yeah. I say? McNeil. Oh, my bad. I meant O'Neill. I have it yeah. written on my notes as O'Neill. <laughs> O'Neill is still kind of an asshole. He's an endearing asshole. Yeah. He's a curmudgeon. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He's a curmudgeon. He's very Mm-hmm. So this episode originally aired on the 21st of January 2000. Oh, wow. It was the first episode to air in the year 2000. Yes. And it was written by? It was written by Catherine Powers and directed by David Wary Smith couple of familiar names for us a little bit our synopsis from tv guide a trial is held to determine who who lives or dies scara or chlorel okay i'm not sure why tv guide thinks that random person reading tv guide would know who scara and chlorel are but okay <laughs> i had to look it up <laughs> the stargate wiki who you would assume that if you're reading the Stargate Wiki, you do know who Scar and Chlorel are. Uh, mm-hmm. The Tolans ask SG-1's help when Chlorel crashes on their new home planet, Tolana. They need SG-1 to help assign Scara Chlorel's fate. Sorry, Scara slash Chlorel's fate. They must perform the Triad, where they argue against the Nox and Zapakna of the Gould. Meanwhile, Teal'c and Major Samantha Carter believe this Apocna is using the Triad to distract them whilst his Jaffa work on crippling the Tolan defenses to enslave Tolana. Yeah, that's right. They actually dropped a whilst in there. <laughs> that was quite the verbose synopsis. That basically is the the episode. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Stargate Weekly is not shy about just rambling on and on. So... The for, In foreign languages, uh, most people call it pretense. The Italians call it deception, which is mm-hmm. basically another word for pretense. Uh, and the Germans call it the Tolden Triad. <laughs> I appreciate that. I like that title. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice and straightforward. Mm. They're German. So our episode opens uh, above a planet and then a death glider flies over and then we see some motherships and they're firing on the death glider and then the planet's firing on the motherships and then the death glider crashes. It all happens a little bit slower than I just said it, but all fairly quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, if we are to assume that Tolana is reasonably similar to Earth in size, uh, those f- blasts that come from the planet are not within walking distance of each other. Oh, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. I, I mean, I was confused because they said they had like a 12 or 14, however many defensive turrets or whatever. And most of them seem to be centered right around that city. Yeah. I mean, it's Stargate, and we've discussed this before, where apparently if it's a planet, then it means it has a city. Yeah. like a village. Yep. But we, Just one. We see those blasts coming off from the planet, and like, it's possible. Maybe the planet's super tiny, but I feel like if it was, then like, things would be weird. The curvature would look a little different. Yes. When they were, you know, standing around there, it wouldn't look like British Columbia. <laughs> or just like an 80s concrete building somewhere in the States. <laughs> Where did they get all that concrete? That was what I was wondering. That's uh, Simon Fraser University, just east of Vancouver. Okay. Ah, perfect. It is also used in Battlestar Galactica and Andromeda. 
That's really funny. I wonder when that building was built. It's just, uh, there's, we've talked about the fact that lots of science fiction shows are filmed in and around Vancouver because reasons. Uh, basically it's cheap. Yep, yep. <laughs> So yeah, uh, this is a this is a location that is used on multiple TV shows because well, if you need a concrete, interesting building, then here you go. There you go. Go to a university. No, kind of makes sense. Uh, yeah, for for shows that are filmed. Um, oh man, I had a great example. Just like completely like just like like just drifted out of my brain. There's this like super funky building when we were watching um, Justice. Bad. That like that building, like whatever it was, like I I've seen that in like three or four different shows. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, th- there's a couple of like interesting looking buildings that just like crop up on shows over and over again, and like, like especially genre shows. Oh yeah, and like repeat set pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, you know, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it's I think there's like there's like some like uh, prop that has been on every Star Trek show I think to date. It's just like it's just like a background prop, like not like a like a really overt thing. It's just like a background thing that's always in like engineering or something or on some alien ship. Is there like I don't know, like oxygen recirculator or something? But it's it, their little it's Easter egg there. in every episode. I love it. Yeah. Well, going back to their guns should have been more evenly distributed around the planet. I wonder if they just didn't have a good way to depict that. Yeah, the cannons they're like it, it's. They're either spaced too far apart or too close together, and it, it's it's just weird. Eh, maybe they have fancy technology that we are not privy to. Oh, we know they have fancy technology we aren't privy to. They keep reminding us how much fancy technology they have that not only we're not privy to, we're never getting. Yep. They just, they really, that, that point is just, like, beaten over and over and over again. Yes. <laughs> the first couple of times, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And then it's just like, huh, were the writers getting lazy, or did they really want these people to look kind of conceited? They really wanted to look conceited. Yeah. They really wanted them to look conceited. Honestly, they're less conceited this episode than the first time we meet them. Oh, yeah. really? I have to admit, though, they were like, you know, we don't give our technology to, to lesser beings. And I was like, well, you know, that kind of makes sense because maybe they're not going to use it correctly. So I was kind of like, well, I, get, I get that. I get that mentality. But then it got more annoying. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like this episode had two themes. One, which nowadays we would call bodily autonomy. Mm. Or is it just body autonomy? Bodily autonomy sounds better. We'll go with that one. Cool. And the second, and this is like a lesser theme, but I, I picked up on it, which was the idea of intelligence versus development versus experience. Yeah, that was definitely touched on. Where you had, so, you know, you, you would have these scenarios where it's like, oh, well, these people are so much smarter than we are. We are superior to these other people, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, it's like, well, we're all in, intelligence wise. I mean, the Tolan are still humans. They just somehow shot way way ahead so there's nothing to say that the other humans couldn't ha- like couldn't do the same things they're just lacking up. right it, i mean you know rocket rocket science seems really incredible and out there and advanced but you can learn it mm-hmm. then the ghoul kind of used that point too though but to try to be like well Humans are just animals to us. Who who argues or who determines the value of a life over another? Which I think is a similar sort of theme, but just touched on differently. Yeah, and since this took place in 2000, obviously we hadn't... There are things that have happened in the past five and ten years that could have been brought up by the humans to argue the whole animal versus person thing, because there have been... Cause Humans are sort of like waking up to the idea that not all animals are stupid things that just root in the dirt all day. Yep. Like elephants. Right. Elephants, dolphins, um, chimpanzees, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, and we, 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 we do still make the determination that, well, these animal, animals will eat and these animals we won't. And it's not like any of them that we can tell have developed any sort of language or writing or anything like that. But, you know, they're, we are recognizing the small steps, the small little signs of intelligence and not quite sapience, but 
like they can recognize themselves. They look in a mirror and they don't see another animal. They see themselves and they recognize that it is them. Like that's, I mean, that that's a very small step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some. I, I felt like there were some interesting points touched on, but they just sort of touched on them and then they kind of just moved on. And I think that was just the way they set up the the triad was there wasn't really room to get into any sort of big arguments, which I thought was sort of fascinating because it's definitely the fastest trial that I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, that's because it's not a trial, it's a triad. That's a good point. Yes. Very different. Similar words, though. Funny how they did that. <laughs> Why was this guy so confused about the word trial? He, he speaks perfect fluent English, like they all do. And he's like, I don't understand this word trial. It's like, well, I mean, you know, think about it, dude. It's a triad, but with an L instead of a D. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, getting back to your your sort of point about the idea that, um, and I'm not going to word it correctly or as, as eloquently, but the, the idea of, like, the value of one's life sort of was a theme that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, I, I wish they had honestly gone into it a little bit more. I thought that was, it, it was a fascinating discussion but it wasn't really a discussion i think that's what i was kind of hoping for at some point it was just two people sort of stating two things there was no like back and forth there was no like gray area which i felt was something that i like they really kept things kind of black or white for the triad which i was a little disappointed by and i guess that makes sense with the context like the gold are perceived as pretty much evil mm-hmm. but the tolan seemed like they maybe would have tried to facilitate some more discussion or debate or argument. It was, for me, it just was kind of a little bit odd, the whole dialogue during those scenes. Yeah, I always was feeling like um, the ghoul archon, Sapakna, was just like in it to be like, I have a, uh, here's my latest gotcha argument. Yes. Look at my beautiful lip sneer, which he overused. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wrote uh, that in my notes. I was like, stop sneering. <laughs> so that actor is Kevin Durand. He'll be back as Apakna twice more, maybe three times more. He's on the show. He, he'll be on as that character three or four times throughout the run of the show. Uh, he's a total that guy. He's been in tons and tons of things. Uh, Do you ever see the movie Smoking Aces? I have not. It's just super wacky. Uh, Chris Pine, who uh, he plays Captain Kirk, he plays Steve, somebody from the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, he's in it. Um, it, it like a, a lot of people are in it. Brian Reynolds is in it, actually. Now, now that I remember. Anyway, uh, and he was also, of course, on the Dead Zone. That so Zapakna is appears in two more episodes, although it is a two parter. So we'll basically see him one more time. Excellent. So speaking of seeing people, mm-hmm. back to the beginning of the episode, yeah. uh, we see the gate room, the embarkation room, whatever they feel like calling it yes. this week. We get to see Jack's uh, one of Jack's stunt doubles uh, in this scene. Other than Siler? Other than Siler, yeah, the, the other one. Okay. I don't know the other one. I only know Siler. Yeah. Uh, well, the other, well, Siler appears all the time. Uh, the other mm-hmm. one is... Uh, Sergeant Vern Alberts, who's played by Bill Nikolai, and he appears in a few episodes. Ah, uh, yeah. So the yeah, you know, so we're there. The alarms going off. Everyone's pointing guns at the iris, which has started to wibble, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. uh, honestly, God, I feel like that's like what what Dan was about to say. It's like it's just me, or does the iris look a little wibbly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, we find the answer to when we talked about. The last time we saw the Tolans, I expressed concern over whether the Tolans would know how to take care of a cat. Apparently they do, because the cat has lived for two years. Always good. I love that, I love that his name is Schrodinger, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Schrodinger the cat. Well, I mean, cats are fairly self-sufficient, so... As long as you feed them, they're good. Yes, you do have to feed them. And the cat will make it clear if it wants the food or not. And so you, and so you just keep trying. <laughs> like, oh, do you, you know, do you want this food? Rare. <laughs> Well, how about this food? <laughs> and then, you know, and then the cat will do its business and you're like, oh, well, I guess that's the other part of taking care of a cat. And then that's it. And then I feel like you're good. The cat will tell you when it's wants attention. It'll like do its thing. Yeah. Pretty easy. Cats are relatively low maintenance. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if being around one didn't make my eyes 
you know, swell up and my nose clog and me sneeze nonstop forever, then I think they'd be great. <laughs> but since all that happens, cats are terrible and they're the worst. One person's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm outnumbered now. So, so yeah, so the cat strolls through. Carter recognizes uh, what it is, who it is. Just the fact that she recognizes that as the cat, though, after not seeing him for a while, kind of impressive. It, yes. But I think that, like... Like, what's the context here? Was this, like, a cat that it she, was hers? She gave it to them. Um, I can't remember if it was, like, hers. She was like, time, shit, it may have been. Gift. There was a cat standing next to her, and she's like, here, take the cat. I can't remember all the circumstances, but yeah, let's go with that. I like that. So then she but, just passed off the cat to these, like, intergalactic individuals. Yeah. And the fact that she recognized it is pretty impressive. Well, I, I think that what, what definitely clued her in was that the cat walked through a metal barrier. I guess that's true. Yeah, that's not a and standard like, cat thing. Or know, is people's. it, though? <laughs> that's true. Cats are wild. Yeah, cats are <laughs> wild. Is this the first cat that walked through the gate? Yes, this is the first cat that has walked through the gate. It's certainly the first cat that has walked through the big steel wall in front of the gate. <laughs> hey, man, cats are resourceful. Right, no, exactly. I mean, that, that's kind of what we were getting to. Like, maybe it is a cat thing. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the cat wanders through. Carter, Carter uh, figures out uh, who it is. And then, of course, Nareem steps through. And Nareem is thirsty. Oh, he is. Yes. Oh, God, yes. It's like a decently handsome person, too. Not bad. Not not bad on the eyes. This actor, who I forgot to write down his name, because we've been on before, and so I, I don't write down the names of actors. He'll through. be on Stargate again as not Nareem. Uh, yes. And also as Nareem. Yeah, I mean, are, are you also thinking of um, Atlantis? Yes. Yeah. He'll he'll be on the follow-on show, Stargate Atlantis, as a completely different character altogether. Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. And Nareem will have one more episode as well. Yeah, Vancouver's a big city, but there are still apparently only so many actors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are other actors who appear on Stargate as multiple characters. No, no, I, yeah, that's my point. Yeah, we, we, we worked with you before, we liked you, here, have some more money to come back for another week. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. We're all up in the conference room because he has just served Jack with a notice to appear on Triad. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Jack's not wrong, it is sort of like being served essentially oh very much so yes it doesn't seem like they have a choice no well i mean they could say no they what are they gonna do i feel like they would get them there no because they also say that later they they say that they'll if they persist in their you know stuff they'll be removed from the triad so clearly true like there are contingencies in play the triad must go on. Yep. But obviously, Jack is not going to say no to this. No. No. He's too and, proud. Uh, so, yeah. So, we're all up in the conference room, and Nareem lays out what's going on with you know, ba- like basic details. And this was the first time that we get the way smarter than we are drop. Mm-hmm. When he had said that, well, between us and the Knox, we figured out how to get ourselves to where we needed to go. Off to Talana they go, and they walk through the Stargate that the Tolan built themselves. Which looks different depending on which shot you're looking at. Oh, yeah? Yes. I didn't notice that. Well, (laughs) it's not, like, a huge difference, but there is a difference in the way it it appears um, when they're walking through it, and then when you see it in the background. Is Mm. it a slightly different color? Yes. Yeah, I noticed that a little bit. Mostly because the like in the background shot, it it almost looks like maybe it's just painted cardboard. <laughs> a little bit, yes. Was what I was thinking. It probably was, to be fair. <laughs> maybe styrofoam. Let's give them some credit here. I mean, I was thinking plywood. Less likely to blow away. <laughs> but, Good point. Good point. So yeah, so there we are on Tolan, and they are escorted. Tolana. In- Thank you. There we are on Talana, and they are escorted into, I don't know, some building somewhere, and they meet the high emissary, or the chancellor. Oh, chancellor? first, their guns are disabled. Ah, yeah. Which, mm-hmm. seriously, why were they bringing... Like, I could understand you always go places with your sidearm, kind of. I don't understand why they brought their rifles to Talana. That didn't make sense to me either. But I guess you just always travel with them? I guess. Technically, they're submachine guns. Okay, I'm sorry. I feel like that's that's sort of equivalent to like me going to visit a friend and just bringing a gun just in case. <laughs> you don't? I I don't. That's not a thing that I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you're not wrong. It's 
It's very strange. It's it's a unique choice. And, and now I'm trying to remember because I feel because I feel like most of the other times where they go off to meet allies, it's because the allies are like, "Hey, here's an important thing that's happening, and we need your help." Right. So then it makes sense to bring their guns. Uh, right. And so I I can't think of very many uh, times when it's been, "Hey, we just want to have you over to chat." Yeah. And they brought. I mean, they brought them solely so they could be like, oh, they disarmed them. Like, that's why they had the guns, right? right but they also always have their guns. They always have them. They they do. They they basically always... I'm like, I'm really racking my brain to think of a scenario similar to this, where it's like, we, like, just, just come over. We're all friends here. Like, nothing's happening. We just want to come over to do this meeting. Um, where they didn't bring their weapons and um i'm coming up short like they they, they always travel Did they bring them. their weapons in the episode where carter's in the in, well i think the episode might even be called space race the one where carter's in the race i honestly can't remember even though i do enjoy that episode i don't watch it all that often uh screw it yes of course they do <laughs> so we meet the chancellor and we find out additional information about the triad there is the Seeker, who, as Daniel explains, is like the defendant. And All the... I could think of was Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got and... distracted after that. I didn't hear the rest of the discussion. <laughs> but you continue. I'm enjoying this recap. And then there were the Archons, uh, which made me think of StarCraft. It made me think of Star Trek. Okay. Uh, who, you know, there'd be an Archon to represent each Seeker, and then a third neutral Archon. And we don't find this information out at this time, but we do shortly find out that the Archons then vote. So that's why they have a odd number of them. It's a unique thing, because I can't imagine the two who are not neutral would ever not vote for the party that they were representing. <laughs> yeah, like, Probably. there's got to be... I, I mean, since this is, like, in a conventional trial, like what we are all familiar with, mm-hmm. even if your attorney thinks that you are a terrible human being who is 100% guilty, they're still required to defend you as if you are not and to the best of their ability. And so, like, in our judicial system, there'd never be a scenario where, like, the defendant's counsel would be, you know what, on second thought. (laughs) Definitely Mm, guilty. That's a good point. Whereas in this scenario, I could definitely, like, in, in the triad, I definitely feel like that option is open. Where if party A really just made like a super great convincing argument about whatever it was, that party B be like, yeah, you know, you're right. It's probably yeah. happened. It's definitely happened in the history of trial. I'm sure it's probably happened, but it's unlikely. Uh, yeah, and so like, I was just wondering, it's like why, like, especially when we find out about the whole voting aspect of it too. It's like, well, then what is? Like, you, like, <laughs> why you not have just have the neutral? That- Right now, yeah, you have to assume that Archon A is going to support Seeker A, and B will support B. So let's just let's just leave it to the neutral Archon. By the way, I did just scrub through Space Race. They do not take their guns. Ooh. Well, there you go. Although when we get to that episode, we'll see if we can remember to fact check to see if they brought their guns like the first time or something. Mm. Yeah, if we remember, because that's in the seventh season. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Make a note now. Yeah. So, yeah, just write it on a sticky and put it on your monitor for the next four years. So, <laughs> It'll stay. Yeah. So, so we get the so we get the rules of triad, and then they are sent off to meet Scara or to reunite with Scara. Except it's not. It's Corel, the evil side of Scara. Yeah, they will pay for what they did to Apophis. Yeah, and two episodes ago is when we find out. Well, technically three is when we find out that Apophis is actually not dead. But he's probably keeping that on the down low at the moment. Well, there's not just that, but there's also the idea that the humans were responsible for his fall from grace. So the humans still need to pay for what they did. Naturally. Uh, We also then find about this like cool piece of tech that the Tolan, of course, will not share that allows them to push a button to only let Skara speak or only let Corel speak and they can't interfere with each other. Pretty convenient, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why Jack's like, I like him. We'll take a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, like, my only beef with it was that... So when they entered the room, there was a banner behind them that was, like, split top and bottom. And the top one was effectively like Chlorel's symbol. It's the serpent. And the bottom is the symbol for Abydos, which is the pyramid with three moons overhead. And I feel like either 
the glowy lights on the on the thingy on the collar should have been red and yellow as to match the banner or the banner should have been red and blue as to match the glowy bit it's a very like it's a super minor nitpick but mm-hmm. oh interesting that banner in uh scara slash chlorel's room has the stargate symbol for abydos i know i just said that did you and the bottom is the symbol for abydos which is the pyramid with three moons overhead I was like waiting to say that, and I like apparently missed that part where you mentioned it. <laughs> you were talking about the banner, I'm like, "Ooh, I want to point out this fact," and then you did it. And anyway. then, like, and then your ears shut down. <laughs> yes, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to recognize that because you don't usually recognize things like that. It was a big deal from the movie, man. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> right around now, or maybe like a minute or so after this, is when we meet Lord Sapakna. Mm-hmm. In all his glory. Yeah, he's just wearing his scant <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Rather short yeah. outfit. Uh-huh. Some very dramatic blue-green eyeliner. Yeah, and like really bad hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I honestly just have a note that says effing Zapata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that outfit. That's kind of disappointing that he doesn't... He's Because he's not wearing the headdress later, right? As in, like, in the next time we see him? Yeah, no, he takes the headdress off, and that's just disappointing. Yeah. But he's still got the eyeliner, so it's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's rocking it. <laughs> yes. It's very fetch. <laughs> Stop trying to make fetch a thing. So, SG-1 is obviously very uneasy about the fact that the Gould Seeker would want a Gould Archon, and he brought along a bunch of Gould guards, and they're sure that he's up to no good. I, you know, I gotta say that part kind of bothered. Oh, I, well, I guess I'll wait until I'll wait until you're, because that's exactly what they did, <laughs> right? They came, they bought a brought a crew too. Anyway, yeah, no, they did, but they didn't come under the pretense of then wanting to disable the planet's weapons and blow up the planet. Like they were just there to hopefully maybe you know get copies of those weapons so <laughs> I, I mean we don't know maybe their second order was to like steal some of the equipment for themselves maybe they weren't there for righteous reasons either uh no they aren't because that's actually a plot point in a later episode ah i mean i mean no they aren't there to steal because that's yeah anyway there is another group of humans from earth who are out there to steal tech in the galaxy so like, our heroes do, don't do that, because they are our heroes. They are our heroes. Yep, that's true. So the triad launches. Just before this, actually, we had found out that the neutral Archon was, gonna, was going to be someone from the Nox, someone named Laia, who we met. Yes, we met in We met her twice before, because I think she was also there to help to take the Tolan to yes. Nox, or whatever their planet is called. I don't remember if the planet has a name or not. Anyway. Yeah, this is the last time that we will see Laia or the Nox. Oh, shame. Oh my. She's kind of a cool character. Mm-hmm. The Nox are, like, cool characters in general. Uh, like, you, you see a little bit why. Because they're pacifists, but they're also super-duper powerful. And they're, are, and they're not ridiculously arrogant like the Tolan. No, no. Like, all, all that they will say is just something to the effect of, no, no, you're too young to understand. Yeah, <laughs> the very young do not always do as they are told. Right. So, yeah, so, so Triad kicks off. Uh, Zapakta is talking a lot jack interrupts because jack's really terrible at being in a situation like this and holding his tongue following decorum i mean you could honestly just have said jack's really terrible at holding his tongue (laughs) that's true it seems like he keeps he keeps getting tapped for these things and he's always bad at them yeah why did they pick him for this (laughs) the alien species always pick him for these sort of things yeah, I guess that's true. There was an episode earlier in the season where he was picked to represent the whole planet. Get a diplomatic, oh yeah, thing. Yeah, so because well, because he he makes like a good you know first and like face to face impression. He's you know there to get the job done. He's you know affable if you know if, if a bit curmudgeonly, but I guess no one really takes into account that he's like that all the time. And 
doesn't know how to turn it off, and so therefore is maybe not the best pick for serious diplomatic or judicial proceedings. And yet here we are. Yes. And he's struggling. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, there's no concept of um, contempt in the triad. So he just basically just gets like a stern look from the chancellor. And, he's like, and she tells him to bite his tongue until it's his turn, which he sort of does. He, well, he gets better. Slightly. Yeah, and we get our we and we get the arguments from both sides, which is that Skara, when he was born, he was on a planet that was under Gould Law, and as such he is property. And all that Corel was doing was just taking his property. He missed the step where, although he was born under the rule of Ra, the humans helped the Abedonians lead a revolution uh-huh. and they threw off the yoke, and incidentally Ra died. Yep. So at the time that Corel took Skara, he wasn't under Gould Law. He was not. But they gloss right over that. A little bit. Also, we have the nothing of the host survives argument, which is proven yes. to be dumb, but, like, seriously dumb. And yeah, proven that... before, too. Like, I, it's almost, at this point, a mute argument, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's the, you know, it's the lie the Gould tell themselves. Like, I don't know why. They're super... Like, they're super arrogant, and as Zapotna points out, like, they see themselves as superior to humans, so I'm not sure why they need to lie to themselves about the idea that nothing of the host survives. It's just like, I mean, they view the humans as animals and their property, so what do they care, one way or the other? Mm, it could go back to that bodily autonomy thing. They don't want to think that the host that they're in is potential, like, has the potential to take over again, maybe? That's a thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. Yeah, because obviously it's, it's, like, it, it wouldn't be a lie they would just tell themselves, but that it would like it would like percolate out to the people under them, this idea. So if the humans go into it thinking that if they ever get taken by a ghoul that they're not going to survive the process, then they'd be less likely to internally revolt, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it then. They're not like trapped. Right. But yeah, I mean, they're clearly still there. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the humans bring up their count their counter argument that the Gould are parasites, always have been and always will be, and they don't invent anything on their own. Which also leads into my approach on this on the second theme of the show, which was like knowledge, you know, like knowledge learned versus knowledge acquired sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Where the Gould are like, well, we got the knowledge and you didn't, so ergo, we're smarter and better. Yeah. And that doesn't really work. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of um, Learning Curve, where the the girl, I can't remember her name, had said something like, you know, oh, well, you, so you weren't always as smart as you are now. It's like, well, no, they just weren't as educated. Yes. They always had the capacity. Not the education or the tools. Yeah, it's, right. it smacks a bit of uh, colonialism. You think? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe more than a bit. Yes. Meanwhile, uh, Carter and Teal'c are examining some piece of modern art, waiting for the evil Jaffa to walk past so they can then follow them, and they track them to the, to one of the orbital defense cannons where they're fiddling with it. <laughs> Waving a metal thing at it. Checking things out, poking around. Uh, yeah, like, I, I didn't remember the episode very well. I remember bits and pieces, but I didn't really remember much about the this cannon plot. Like for once, there's actually a B plot in an episode, which is a rare thing on Stargate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought they were like planning a bomb or something. The literal canon plot. Haha. <laughs> yeah. So I thought they were planning a bomb. So I was confused when they walked away and there was no visible sign they had been there. So I, you know. Well, they had to. Who knows? You know, be secretive. Right. Other than the fact that they're stomping around in broad daylight. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to imagine they've got some level of security, right? Apparently not. Because when they go and, like, they bring their concerns to Noreen, he's like, no, 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 listen, like, the metal is impenetrable, and we have security codes. I'm like, yeah, because security codes have literally never been broken in the history of ever. <laughs> but their security codes clearly haven't. Yeah, it's like, like, what's, like, what's your password? One, two, three, five? Because they'll never see that one coming? Like, That's the same number as on my luggage. <laughs> so, yeah, th- this is when the Tolan's arrogance really starts biting them where it's like, well, we are so much smarter and better than you. So all of your ideas and concerns are dumb and we're not even going to listen to them. 
they're they're like surprisingly close minded for uh, such an advanced society. Yeah, which I almost feel doesn't quite fit. Yeah, right. I, I I feel like they wouldn't have gotten to where they were now if they had been so close minded. But maybe they just got kind of set. Yeah, like maybe they just like hit a point where it's this idea of getting back to colonialism, <laughs> where it's like, well, because we have sailing ships and muskets and consider ourselves civilized, and all you have is bow and arrows and canoes, therefore we're more advanced and know more than you do, and you have nothing that you could ever possibly teach us. So there's no reason to listen to what you have to say. Right. Whereas Europeans obviously would have no knowledge whatsoever about how to live in, say, a jungle. Yeah. And that's useful knowledge. But they wouldn't expect the natives to be able to tell them something they don't know. Right. And, and that's the position it feels like the Tolan are coming from, is like, like, what could you possibly teach us? Like, what information could you possibly bring to this conversation? That we don't already know or have. Right, you know, like, we clearly thought of everything, and, you know, we, yeah, we see no paint, we see no markings, you're just talking gibberish. Trying to mess up the triad. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, yeah, and, and that's what they keep coming back to, which is, I can see their point. Yeah. Because if, if you accept that... If you don't believe that it's possible for the gold to do something to your weapons, then yes, it does sort of seem like SG-1 is is trying to influence your decision on the triad. Except the Tolan aren't making the decision. Right. That's true. But uh, but O'Neill has already been pretty disruptive, so she's probably just like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. But I, I just kind of feel like they should have been like... I mean, they, they did the, dismiss- the, the, uh, the dismissive thing of saying, I see no paint, I see no markings. But... I really feel like you should have been like, you know, like explain this invisible painting. Yeah. And then you could still have them be arrogant and have them like come back with some other reason why they're still not going to listen to the humans. But yeah, Maggie's not wrong. They feel like a little too close minded. Yes. Not even wanting to investigate deeper into what the humans are concerned about. Yeah. No, especially like they're having this whole triad for one person. And yet. Yeah, it, 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 there's some little inconsistencies in their behavior. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, sadly, this will be a recurring theme for the Tolan. Ah, oh, bummer. yeah. So the uh, the Chancellor puts her foot down and says, enough of this. You bring it up again. We're getting ready. Uh, and we'll have we'll bring in someone else to defend Skara. So be on your best behavior. Jack takes it to heart because he wants to protect Skara. Mm-hmm. And he tells Carter and Teal to stand down and not pursue this any further. And Teal disagrees with this decision. Yes. And then Teal'c acts upon his disagreement mm-hmm. and goes to Laia. And Laia's like, hey, you can't talk to me because that'll, that could affect the trial or triad. And he's like, I don't want to affect the triad, but let me tell you something. <laughs> he's like, well, hold on. Let me tell you, like, before you say any more. Like, no, no, I'm not going to do that either. Okay, fine. <laughs> I like her honesty. I like that she was like, just so you know, yeah, you actually exactly. do this. I'm going to tell on you. Yeah. You know, she's there to be the neutral party, and she's taking it very seriously, and I can appreciate very that. Very seriously, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a serious thing. Yeah. Trying to decide, like, who gets ownership of a body. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. And then we have that wonderful scene where she's late, and there's just a little bit of downtime in court. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed. Uh, I'm going to forget his name, but uh, our, our gold picking at his nails was, I thought, very entertaining. <laughs> Sapakna. A little bit. Yes. Sapakna, yep. You just scan over and he's just like playing with his fingernails for a minute. Yeah, that was good. And yes, we are back in the triad chambers. We are here today. We are here now because Apocna has a challenge. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I was expecting something more than him just making a statement. But whatever. I was too. Yeah, I was like, oh, they're going to fight. This makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, so his statement is, you know, well, the Tolano have a death penalty. And so therefore they wouldn't they would not allow themselves to be part of removing the gould and letting it die. And either the gould are not aware of or willing or are not revealing that they're aware of a way to remove a, remove a symbiote without killing it or the host. Uh, They have to be aware of that. I mean, I, I, I would expect so as well, especially when the Tok'ra reveal that it's like a decision of the, on the part of the symbiote to, poison the yeah so his argument is there's no way to remove the symbiote without killing it so therefore if you remove it it's a death sentence you don't believe in death sentences ipso facto gotcha so obviously this whole time he knows that his 
points are dumb and they won't they don't hold water but he's just buying time before the the uh, invisible paint can be done definitely the human's counterpoint to that is that a life enslaved inside your own body with no control like just like you know trapped inside your own mind pounding at the walls not being able to get through is no life at all yeah it's not a good one and then nareem barges in yes he does he has important news turn on your view screen and here are more gold yeah it's like no 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 says sapakna they're just yeah it's my ride (laughs) they're just (laughs) just chilling they're just hanging out and waiting for me yeah they went and grabbed lunch it ended early Gould Uber is super unreliable Uber. in this part of the galaxy. Thank you. Uh, it's super unreliable in this part of the galaxy. So I just had my bros come by to pick me up direct. Like, ain't no thing. <laughs> and he like he almost can't even say it with a straight face, I feel like. Yeah. That's where the sneer comes from. Yeah. He's it's like, just to hide everything. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually a terrible liar, so he just consistently sneers to throw people off his game. Yeah. The sneer <laughs> is his tell. <laughs> And he's always sneering, so he's always lying. Yes. And the Chancellor buys it. She's like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, she does point out that, you know, if you keep, you know, if they come any closer, we, we, we're going to blow you up. He's like, yeah, no, no worries. It's fine. And uh, on that note, let's just end Triad. I'm ready to go. Yeah, and that's not how it works, man. Uh, no, but apparently it does because the humans are also ready to go because as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, they're going to vote for their guy. And so's the other party. So, like, really, the only person who we need to know if they're ready to go is the Archon, or the neutral Archon, Laia. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, And she, she apparently says, has enough information, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she rules in favor of Skara. Making largely the same point that the humans did, which is that a life trapped inside your own body is no life at all. Mm-hmm. Zupakna is not pleased. He does a very angry bow. And then he pulls the gold talkie ball out from under his table, and he's like, right there in the room where everyone is still standing starts giving orders yep <laughs> like you couldn't wait to get into the hallway dude like yeah you're just the worst you're terrible at this <laughs> no stuff at all not much no. so everyone evacuates the building and they see that there's these like crazy beams touching all of the cannons and then boom 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 all the cannons are destroyed before they have a chance to fire so as predicted i guess the beams weren't viewed as a threat by the cannons i guess i guess not (laughs) (laughs) not great yeah like i feel like well no if they don't if they're not familiar with the concept of invisible painting a target lock probably is like what's that (laughs) Uh, yeah and it could be that the beams are just there well because everyone like acts as if they can see the beam so it's not like it's just there for the viewer's benefit to show like like you'll see like like red la- red and green lasers in shows to you know for for the same effect. Mm-hmm. But in this case, like everyone was like, "Oh no, what's that thing? Oh no, they blew up." Yeah, who could have predicted this? Yes, who? Yes, and Jack in his Jack way is like us, literally us. We we like we just had this conversation yesterday. I, I was I was a little bummed. I was a little bummed that Jack was right. Not gonna lie. <laughs> you really have it out for Jack, jeez. I do. I don't know. I don't know why he really, really was really bothering me this episode. But fine, he's right. Okay. <laughs> they suddenly realize that Teal is not with them, and they find him and Laya just crouching down somewhere. And Teal reveals that he had disobeyed Jack. And Jack's like, "Okay, go on." Yeah, because Jack's no stranger to disobeying commands. Yeah, no joke. So. Yeah, so so Laia teleports them all to a field and then reveals the cannon. Teal, who had conveniently the day before been watching the technician punch in the one and only activation code <laughs> authorization engineering Delta Delta four seven. It was Omega. <laughs> I just like the word Delta better than Omega. All right. So the cannon, you know, the cannon turns on, fires, blows up the ship. Easy peasy. It blows up the death gliders that were going to attack them too. Uh, yes. The ship makes a very loud explosion noise in space. Yes. That is a good point. That's that's common. Most shows get that wrong. Yeah, they do. I don't think very many got it right up until recently, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Gravity did a good job with that. Uh, yeah, uh, Battlestar did a really good job with it as well, as I recall. Oh, really? I haven't seen that one yet. When they had the in-cockpit shots, they would have... If they were like, firing their weapons, you would have these sort of like muted sounds from the weapons because they were radiating through the ship and not actually 
you know, like translating through air. I think The Expanse does a really good job. I've only seen the like Expanse does it as well. I've only seen like an episode of The Expanse, but one of it was in space. So I remember that they they I remember them getting it right. Yeah, I think it's just something that like audiences look for now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, Star Trek was just as bad as Stargate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now I want to say I'm trying to remember if the news and on Discovery if there's explosions in space, and I honestly can't remember. Like, noise explosion in space. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember either. Hmm. Anyway, so we are back with the Chancellor. Uh, Scar has just come back out. He's, I guess, a Tok'ra now? He's in Tok'ra clothes. He's not a Tok'ra. He doesn't have a symbiote. But why is he in Tok'ra clothes? Why not just, like, other clothes? That was what was around? I guess. Also, he could have been heck? wearing his normal clothes, couldn't he? Well, those were those were Chlorel's clothes. He probably wanted to get out of them as. I guess that's as fair. Yeah, that makes sense. I also wonder, like, how were the Tolan able to contact the Tokra immediately? That's a good question because SG One can't do that. So Maggie, so the Tokra are this group. I can't remember if we've mentioned this to you before. Um, they're this group who's like this anti-Gould group. They're they're good Goulds. Like they also have symbiotes, but they're not trying to you know enslave people. Yeah. Uh, no, we did because we did the episode with um, didn't we do the episode with when Sam was taken over by Jolinar? I think we were. I think I did that one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah. No. I, in that I'm case, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. With it. yeah. But but they're super cagey. Like. Yes. Yeah, like they they live in underground tunnels all the time. And yeah, like they're always like, "Hey, you're our friends. We're not going to tell you where we live." So, and they were able to contact them right away. It, it's weird how some groups are able to contact the Toker right away, and some groups can't. It throws me off. But anyway, they all hug and shake hands with uh, with Scar, and that's more or less that. Yeah, yeah. So it goes. One last jab from O'Neill, trying to get like, "Well, you guys, you guys owe us something now, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "No." Like, no, 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 you're right. We do owe you some crisp handshake. (laughs) And we'll be doing the same plot point later. Here's a a nice thank you and a pat on the back. (laughs) So, all in all, Mackie, what'd you think? You know, it was entertaining, as always. I I still think... uh, I still think I come back to the fact that Teal'c is probably my favorite character. I wish he had a little bit more screen time in this episode. Teal'c is pretty awesome. Yeah, like, he, he's just kind of, like, a pretty solid character. And it has been in the episodes that I have watched. Um, I also really liked that, uh, like, as if long-distance dating wasn't hard enough. Samantha's possibly, I don't know, dating some guy that lives on another planet. <laughs> what, like, what a great reference. I mean, once it's long-distance, it, does the distance itself matter? That's a good point. I don't know. It's not like she has access to, like, Portal Gate all the time. Not all the time, but I can... I, I, I feel like... With the aid of the Stargate, the fact, like, if she and Noreen were to be in a relationship, I feel like it would, like, almost be easier for them to see each other than, say, two people who are on the, like, on, like, the other side of the country, or even, like, like a couple of states away from each other. You know, that is a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like, you know, you, know, you walk 20 feet and poof, you're on another planet, so... But how disappointing for him, right? She summons him, and he's thinking, oh, yeah, booty call, and then she's like, <laughs> no, I think your planet's gonna get attacked. Yeah. yeah also like it's not you it's me and me <laughs> yes. it's me and me <laughs> i thought that was a funny random aside yeah that was good poor noreen uh yeah yeah no i, I thought that was fascinating they did seem to um and i'm, I'm gonna apologize because i know i'm not gonna get the names right but the tolan were pacifists mostly. is that correct mostly yeah, yeah. like they're like, we'll defend ourselves yeah, to the death kind of pacifists. Yeah, I thought that was, that there was kind of a jab that Samantha made at the end to our, our neutral party helper. Um, what was her name? Laya. Laya. And she kind of made a jab to Laya, and she was like, oh, I thought you, you were pacifists. And mm-hmm. Laya was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, you kind of tiptoed the line there. I thought that was, it seemed like they were kind of like, hey, hey pacifists. They don't know what they're doing. That was like, I thought that was an interesting little jab. Which makes sense, because they're military, right? Yeah. So they're the absolute opposite. Yeah, and I like how she just answers it straight. She's like, yes, I did. <laughs> She's just straightforward. She's not bullshitting. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was a good episode. Less less action than some of the other ones I've seen, but still some interesting stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, it really it wouldn't be a solid episode of Stargate without at least one explosion. But as as far as the run and gun goes, this is definitely a lower on the list. <laughs> and I do always enjoy going back and seeing some of these, like the eighties, nineties, just very low budget uh, sci fi tech. <laughs> like the, I think there was one moment that where there was a door and it was like a shimmery sort of thing, and he opened it and it just went away, and it was like those were just those were just lights. Like that was that, like I, I think I could probably rig something up like that in my living room if I really was feeling so compelled. I, but I, I love that kind of campy stuff. Yeah, and Stargate has that in spades. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they really do. Good, good, good stuff. Well, Thad, any final thoughts? No, we've covered all my notes. Okay. Well, you know, I'm willing to bet that you're going to love next week's episode. <laughs> anyway. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed us, you should check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can find a review both on the podcast player of your choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, StarkateWeekly at gmail.com. I'm at Tyrannicus on Twitter. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter. I am Still- not on Twitter. <laughs> okay. Still not on Twitter. Still not and on Twitter. Can, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah. <laughs>